Welcome to Basecamp for Men. I'm your host, Tony Rezac. This is a show that gives you insights and resources in how to live a more courageous life. We'll be looking at men, the current state of masculinity, and how to create a more inspiring narrative for all men. Welcome and let's get started. I would like to dedicate this episode to my dear friend, John Schreiner. John is a man who has always lived with a lot of soul. John, this episode's for you, brother. I have long been attracted to teachers who aren't afraid to explore psychological truths. Whether the teacher is considered a spiritual master, a mystic, a therapist, or someone who can speak from the soul, my heart has gravitated towards learning that feels deep and timeless. And anything that runs counter to the shallow, banal, and distracting nature of our culture is like food for the soul. I want to feel like we're all on an adventure together, a collective hero's journey that we all play an important part in. In all of the wisdom traditions, there's been talk of an awakening in the human spirit, a quickening in our learning. Consciousness seems to be entering a new phase, and let's be thankful for that. As a tribe, we are ripe for new information, new models for problem solving, and new methods for transcending our habit of creating a sense of separation in the world. My guest today is a gifted writer and teacher, and someone that I am excited to introduce you to. Paul Dunyon is a co-founder of the Connecticut Men's Gathering, a biannual retreat for men that began in 1992. He is also the founder of Boys to Men, a mentoring community for teenage boys. Paul has been in private practice as a psychotherapist for 37 years and is presently a faculty member for Mobius Executive Training. You can find his blogs at the Huffington Post as well as medium.com, and he's the author of several books. His next book, Wisdom, Apprenticing to the Unknown and Befriending Fate, is due to be released in the summer of 2020. Here is my interview with Paul Dunyon. All right. Well, I'm here with Paul Dunyon. Paul, it is so good to have you on Basecamp for Men. Welcome to the show. Thank you. Uh, you know, I, I read two of your books, and you and I, we have a similar background. I don't often meet someone like you. You and I both came from sports. Yeah. And then found our way onto this kind of mystic path. It's not normal that I meet somebody that came from athletics. Most of the jocks I knew, they right. stayed with football. They still talk football. It's all sports and fantasy football. Most of them didn't find the path that you and I found. <laughs> well, it was, I mean, it was a strange path to get here, believe me. I know. I Tell me about it. So, yeah. Um, you, I loved your book, The Path of the Novice Mystic. I, I really saw myself in a lot of it for the reason we just mentioned. And, I guess my first question is, what is a novice mystic, and what are the, some of the signs that you might be a novice mystic? Well, you know, my bias is that there probably isn't a choice but to be a novice mystic. Yes. Uh, meaning, I, I like working with James Hollis's notion that there are four expressions of mystery, the self, others, nature, and God, mm. however you understand that. Yep. And... In terms of those four expressions of mystery, it, it's, it feels a little weird to say that one would get advanced into the mystery. Right, right, right. So I, my guess is the novicehood simply means, and this is my best understanding of what that might mean, is that the ego has taken me so far and with enough defeat, mm -hmm. I no longer am relying on the idea that there are nifty answers that are on my way by Tuesday. Right, right that, right. that option starts rolling away. And then there might be an appreciation for the immensity of life. That's beautiful. And at that point, 
I'm a budding novice mystic. As am I, as am I. Yeah, I think when I first was exposed to some of these tales of spiritual enlightenment, there was, my ego was like, oh, good, we're going to get to the top of the mountain. You know, it's like, oh, no, actually, I'm not going. (laughs) I've got a shed here. Yeah. Right. And and you you said in in the book that there's a difference between uh, a spiritual practice and a soul practice. And, you know, I think when I was younger, I kind of grouped everything as a spiritual practice, even if it was maybe in the soul practice category. I think I just kind of, these were the deeper mysteries. Um, And I guess I wanted to hear like, is it necessary to kind of have both going on spiritual and soul practices? Is it, or would a novice mystic maybe find himself or herself heavily into one as a way to grow uh, spiritually or, or emotionally or have inner growth. Yeah, I mean, the spiritual path is definitely considerably more popular. Mm-hmm. Uh, my colleague Thomas Moore really made the, the soul path uh, a, a, a real option when he wrote the book. Uh, um, what was the book? Care for the Soul. Care for the Soul. Yeah. When he wrote that, he opened up the notion that there was a soul option. Mm-hmm. And the, the major distinction for me is the soul path, the path is a descended path. Yes. That yes. is, it's about getting lost. It's about grief. Yeah. It's about uh, not knowing who I am. It's about, it's mostly about loss, mm-hmm. either losing one's way or actual loss. The spiritual path is an ascended path. Right? So it's, it's more interested in transcendence, where the soul path is interested in eminence, I-M-M-A-N-E-N-C-E, which means what's here right now. Yeah, yeah. So there are different focuses. I think uh, both Moore and I, I, we have strong biases around this. Mm-hmm. That is, the culture seems to be very devoted to the spiritual path. The, the challenge with that devotion without the soul notion is that a spiritual bypass becomes popular and appealing. Yep. Meaning, meaning maybe I can attach to certain religious mandates and protocols that allow me to be immune to the risks that are involved on these paths. Yes. And, and, and that's, that's a dilemma. We're on the soul path. It's very difficult to have a a soul bypass. Right. There are no bypasses. Right, right, uh, right. Right. So that's that's great. I I often I was sitting with this question and I was you're right, it's it's gotten it's very in vogue if you go to any kind of new age bookstore. I mean, you see, you know, gads of books on ascension and the spirit and and, and chakras and all these different things. Um and for me, the descended soul, I mean because I came from sports, I have a, just a love of the earth and groundedness and the body and the wisdom of the body. And that seems deeply connected to soul to me, you know, yeah, soul, soul yeah. is a lot about embodiment. Yeah. And so for me, that was a natural access point. When I started to get interested in these things, I didn't want to leave the body because I had this relationship to all right. kinds of information that was coming from you know, the sense of being on the ground and being connected to nature and, and, right. and my senses, was, they were giving me information. So um, you, you said, you, you have a quote that I love from the book. It says, one measure of a well-lived life will be the degree to which we allow ourselves to get lost. Right. And 
why does the soul possess an affinity an affinity for getting lost? It seems like an odd uh, statement. At the same time, it has this resonance of like, yes, that is absolutely true. But why is that? I think the soul has a certain capacity to be intimate with the immensity. Mm. It's, it, 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 it's not built in to avoid it. Right, it, right. The, the soul is okay with the immensity. Hence, getting lost is appropriate and fitting and inevitable. Yeah, 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 yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. I mean, and you see it sometimes with men who are of a certain age. You know, it's, it's, it's sort of like, you know, a man in a midlife crisis where he's, he's worked hard and he's been successful. He's been hard charging and maybe something in t- interior is kind of brewing and then he hits something. Maybe there's a loss or he loses his dad. And then all of a sudden his identity, he's like, I don't want to just keep doing this. And, but I don't know, I feel lost. And it might be the man's first time he's ever experienced being lost because maybe he took a really clear path and said, I'm not going to make any, I'm not going to make waves. I'm not going to question. I'm just going to charge hard and make, you know, be successful in my field. And then all of a sudden there's a spot where it's like, uh Oh, I don't know how to deal with this at all. You know, what is happening? I don't like the feeling of being lost. <laughs> no, the ego tends to protest it. Yes. In fact, yeah. a fellow by the name of Garcia wrote a book on getting lost. And what he said, what he did in that book is he interviewed, I think it was maybe 10 of the top explorers in the world. Mm. I mean, guys who go into the jungle, go to mountains where people have never been. Yeah. And he asked them, did you ever get lost? <laughs> and each of them said the same thing. They said, yeah, once I did get lost. And what he noticed was in the narrative they told about the lost, there were five stages of them getting lost. And the first four were denial. <laughs> <laughs> they, would, they would say, oh, I know that tree, that rock formation. I know that rock formation. That's hilarious. And he translated that into psychologically getting lost. The ego is ready to do at least four times. Yeah. I'm not. I'm not really lost. This isn't happening. I know where I'm at. Yeah, it's not happening. <laughs> That's and I think for the man who is 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 there for the first time. Yeah, having a mentor who's familiar with getting lost mm-hmm. or hanging with other men who have been lost is yeah. such a gift. Yeah, because. Without that, it's, it's easy to turn against the self. I mean, the, I've always liked to say the ego's okay either being specially positive or specially negative. Yep. It detests ordinary. Right, right. So it's easy then to go into, well, there's just something deeply in, uh, damaged about me because yeah, I'm yeah. lost. Yeah. And you've, you've spent a lot of time, you spoke of uh, mentors and groups. I mean, you've done... I, 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 think I have this right that you've been in men's groups for a long time. I have too. I've led them and participated in them. And it has been a massive support of, you know, a reassurance that it's okay to be lost. It's, it's okay to find your way. It's okay to share wisdom and, and uncertainty and confusion. I mean, I don't know where I would be had I not been in circles, in wisdom circles with men. Um, in particular, that helps me with you know, the direction, you know, and so I can hit spots and be like, I'm not sure what's happening here, but I'm not just going to flounder around by myself, you know, in my own fantasy or my own egoic kind of, you know, projections or whatever. And so, um, 
And you, I think you've been in men's groups a long time too, right? Yeah, since 1979. Yeah, oh yeah. Since I, mean, I was a kid. <laughs> in the mythopoetic men's movement in Boulder that called me the grandfather in the men's movement. Nice. But I had a mentor in 79. He came to me and he said, there's a renegade Jesuit up in North Andover, Mass. And he's doing five-day-long shadow retreats for men. Oh, Go hang with him. Yeah. And it was incredible. And that, that man had a heck of a vision. Yeah. Yeah. yeah but that's when that? it started. Do you remember Michael Merrill. Michael Merrill? Yeah. 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 That's fantastic. I mean, you mentioned in, the, in Seekers, uh, Finding Our Way, that, that Seekers are threshold dwellers. Right. What did you mean by that exactly? A threshold dweller, in my mind, fundamentally keeps one foot in the here and now as much as possible. Mm-hmm. What's going on now? And one foot in what could be. Mm-hmm. So there's, there's the dreamer foot. Mm-hmm. And there's the, this is what's real now. Yeah. And what I noticed about seekers, including myself, is that we have to remain very corrective, meaning it gets easy to step over to the dream side mm-hmm. because it looks so lovely. Yeah. Yeah. It's seductive. Sure. Yeah. And so it means, wait a minute, I got to come back to what the heck is, what's going on now? as well as holding the dream. Yeah, that's great. Um, and what, what is your definition of the authentic life? There's, I hear that from time to time, people speaking of the authentic life. Is that just staying true to your own compass or is that really having like a soul-based practice would be considered authentic? Because authentic seems like a more soulful word than a spiritual word to me. Yeah, I think it is too. Mm-hmm. I think it's mostly an interior experience. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the interior experience is a commitment to know what's going on inside of me in terms of emotion, in terms of intentions, in terms of beliefs and values. Mm, mm. And then noticing how congruent is my behavior with that interior world. Got it. And if I, if I am living authentically, the odds are high in my mind. Integrity is a natural. It's a yeah. natural outcome. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So what do you do if somebody is not, you know, if there's not a match, like they've got their values, what does a man do if he's like, look, I'm over here, I don't seem to be much in integrity. How do you clean that up? Or how do you own that? Or how do you heal uh, that? I, I, this last manuscript I just finished, I wrote a lot about the value of being in a, in t- a crisis of integrity. Mm-hmm. And I don't think I've ever heard it framed that way before, but I really like it a lot. I do too. Because what it means is, I'm in a place where it's looking like my behavior is not congruent with my values or even maybe even with my heart, Mm -hmm. my heart's longing. Mm -hmm. And that crisis means I have an opportunity to get right with myself. Yeah. But I have to feel the crisis, know the crisis, and possibly ask for some help about it. Got it. Got it. That's great. And then you, you wrote that one of the psychological tasks of the mystic is to remain devoted to right-sizing the ego. That's the first time I heard that phrase. I love that phrase of yours, right-sizing the ego. Mm-hmm. Um, how do you assess? You know, um, it was funny when I read this because uh, I've never heard right-sizing the ego might be actually having more ego. Because I think oh, I, yeah. I came from a certain group. And maybe it's because I have a big ego and right-sizing means lessening for me, right? Like I was an athlete and I was a special athlete or whatever, right? So I maybe came with my ego like being unique that way. So my work has been to sort of dissolve and watch where 
I can kind of make it about me or get big in that way. But I never heard the other side, which somebody actually might need more oomph in the ego to balance that out. Right. Yeah. I think one of the unfortunate things is that in most personal growth circles, Mm -hmm. the only way, the only way ego adjustments is held is it's got to be downsized. Totally. That's all you ever hear. Any, I mean, people who are, for example, highly codependent, mm-hmm. they're typically short on ego. Yeah. Someone confused about their own beliefs, short on individuation such that yeah. they don't know their own beliefs and their own values. They need more ego. Yeah. 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 I mean, that's new news to me, really. I mean, maybe a psychotherapist might go, oh, no, he, this is right in the model of this. But it to me, I it was so fresh. I was like, I've never quite heard that, but it really makes sense on a lot of levels. It's not talked about a lot because yeah. the issue issue looks like it's usually inflation. Totally. Yeah. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And deflation is another option. Yeah. Yeah. That's great. And it, um, by the way, I I have worked with many really sensitive, big-hearted men. Yeah. And they often are on the deflation side of the continuum. Really? Oh yeah. Ah. Yeah. Where, where they need a little more, you're saying? They need more ego. Yeah. yeah they have yeah, yeah. they have a big heart. Yep. But they're not they're a little short on how do I get more self focused? What would be the signs of that? Would it be you know big heart like you said, and then maybe not out effective in the world, kind of like you know making impact that way, where you're really letting your voice be heard. Like what would be a a, a somebody who's got a big heart and you're like I, he could use more ego. Great guy. You know, it's all a, pro, you know. It's a, this is something Robert Bly said in the late 90s when he was traveling mm-hmm. with John Lee. He said, I'm meeting a new male. This new male would create war on no one. Mm. He's committed to fathering. He's mm-hmm. devoted to spousing. He wants to help his community. And he ended it by saying, this man will change nothing in his lifetime. Yeah, 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 yeah. There yeah. it is. Yeah, there it is. Yeah. Short on warrior. Short on warrior. Yep. Probably short on ego. Yeah. Yeah. That makes sense. That's resonating. Um, I, I, one of your quotes, you said, it's not really a quote. It's just a piece I picked out of one of the two books. It says our ancestors rejoice in our willingness to step out of some compressed story. And I thought that was so great. People have looked sideways at me. I, I, I've been sober for almost seven years and my both my grandparents were alcoholics and I also have Native American blood on my father's side, which has also got uh, its fair share of alcoholism. And I like to drink, you know, it's something that I've always liked. I, I'm fun to go out to have beers with and, you know, it's going to be a good time for everybody. And when I quit, I could feel, it wasn't just for me, I could feel, um, I could feel ancestrally the difference it made. It was also, it was also like my grandparents took a big deep breath somewhere up there and were, and were smiling upon me. And I've never forgot that. It was not just for me that I quit. Of course, I didn't want to have drinking issues and have my young son see that, that, that was a motivating factor. I didn't anticipate when I quit, I would get such a kind of heartfelt hit from my ancestors to say, thank you we knew you were going to do that for us kind of thing, you know? Yeah, I had the same thing. I stopped drinking 34 years ago. Mm-hmm. And I had the same sense that it was for those who came before, like, you know, the numerous generations of Scott-Irish drunks oh, came yeah. before me. Yeah, proud. But I had the sense it was for them, for sure. <laughs> yeah. But I was also doing a short ritual every week. 
Mm. There was a picture in my bedroom of me and my son. Mm. And I would stare at the picture and say, it ends with me. Mm. Mm. So I like the notion that it can possibly go the other way also. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, Yeah, that's beautiful. Um, You know, it's a general question to say, what would you tell a man who's in a midlife crisis? If you, if you knew a man um, who's a little bit, maybe like I described earlier, let's say he's, he's just gotten kicked in the nuts with some loss, maybe he lost a job that he didn't see coming or his, his father passed away. Um, and he just feels, you know, he's put on weight. He's, 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 he's not finding the, the chapter right now, he's maybe not even admitting that he's lost, although it's, it's evident to the, the men and women around him. Um, well, how would you counsel somebody like that? Who's like, you know, I don't know what's going on. I'm, I'm 55 and I'm just, I'm, I'm angry, confused. I don't know what to do. I'm scared. And I don't even know what, to, what the next steps are. What do you do? You know, well, I certainly first would want to acknowledge that it's awful. Yeah. Yeah. That feels awful. Yep. Then I would want to let him know. It's natural. Mm. But this is a natural process where the psyche is ready to do itself over again in mm. some way. Mm. And that those of us who get there and get honest about it mostly need to get help, people, guys walking with us, so that we can be supported in the, pers- in the process of what is it that's asking to be birthed. Mm. So, because something is dying, I would want to honor his grief for sure. Yep. But something wants to be birthed, too. And I, I want to construct it that way so he, at least he starts thinking of possibility. Yeah, that's that great. it's not just awful. It is awful, yeah, but not yeah. just awful. Yeah, yeah, that's great. That's great. Um, and you mentioned in your book that it serves the novice mystic to open to a soul practice that can deepen and expand the experience of unity. And there is so much about soul calling to the divine energy of Sophia or Sophia, however you want to pronounce yeah. her name, where unity truly lives. Yeah. Uh, how, how did that come about discovering that? Oh God, it came about, I got to shorten the story a little bit. It's a big story. Yeah. I was doing some research uh, at the time and, you know, I had taught philosophy for 13 years. Mm-hmm. And in my Western training in philosophy, Pythagoras was a, considered a minor character, like mm-hmm. mostly, mostly a mathematician that they didn't pay attention to. Right. And I'm coming across some stuff all of a sudden where his mentor, Thales, I think he's 18, mm-hmm. and Thales in Greece with him tells him to go to Egypt uh, at Alexandria and study at the mystery school. Mm-hmm. So he goes. Yep. And and here's an 18 year old Greek knocking on this door, and only Egyptian priests are in this place, right? Yeah. Yeah. And they say, "You got to be kidding!" <laughs> Basically, get the hell out of here. Got to be kidding. But he kind of sits on the step, and he doesn't go away. Yeah. And he keeps knocking on the door, and they say, "Okay, listen, you're a pain in the ass." Number one. Yeah. Number two, if you want in here, interestingly enough, 40 days in the desert. And we're going to give you a certain breathing technique to do while you're there. Mm-hmm. Then come back and see us. He, he does it. Comes back. He knocks at the door. They say, so what happened? He said, well, initially I came to you 
And I thought that truth was about something mental. Mm-hmm. And now I understand it's experiential. Mm-hmm. And they say, come on in. Persian general attacks Egypt, finds a young Greek in, a, in their mystery school, knows immediately this is a fluke. Yeah. And says to Pythagoras, you're coming with me. Uh-huh. And takes him to Babylon yeah. and says, you're studying with my magi. Well, all astrologists and numerologists. Yep. He does that. He leaves there. He's sailing back to Samos. Finds a dictator there he doesn't want to live with. So now he's heading to southern Italy. And he's calling himself lover of Sophia. Mm-hmm. That's what got my attention. Yep. And where it's coming from is the word philosophy. Mm-hmm. Philosophia is love of Sophia. Mm -hmm. Now, that can mean a couple of things. What I found out in further research, that for him in that moment, I mean, he was coming from a lot of magic in in Babylon. Absolutely. It was a magical orientation. Yep. What he meant was, he was a lover of logos. Mm -hmm. Logos being the ability to really use the mind in the most creative, productive way possible. Got it. So he goes to southern Italy, to the town of Croton, and creates a very powerful mystery school. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And that's, where, that's what influenced me, such that in 2013, I created the Croton Mystery School. Ah, which and brings it, me to the question, the one question I asked was, mm-hmm. you know, I've, in my search, I've come across all sorts of the mystery schools, whether that was Egypt or Middle East or you know, uh, the, you know, the Gnostics, the Cathars, the, you know, there were, there was mystery schools, the Druids, they, they, they were everywhere protecting the, the, the divine, uh, Sophia, the, the mystery of Sophia and, uh, the Templars, right. Created. And a lot of times there was these mystery schools would create sort of ways where you could not quite find out exactly what the mysteries were inside of their temples, right. like a little bit like the Egyptian, uh, priesthood right. that you described. Yeah. And when you start to try to figure out what was going on, you realize that there was initiations often in grades. And, um, Mm -hmm. you know, when I've read about Freemasonry, I've seen, okay, well, there seems to be three main initiations, but many of the mystery schools that got passed on and lived like Freemasonry seem to be corrupted. In other words, some of the original magic or the medicine that was in those teachings got corrupted by self-serving priesthood, let's say, for lack of a better word. And so, so nowadays people, is there a, uh, is there mystery schools that people can, you know, take their proper place in where they can learn about what was our birthright, which was to learn these, these truths in this path? Um, or is it, are we in an age where because of the internet, everything is, you know, you, you grab, you know, this video set over here and, oh, you know, this person's got a mystery school. Let me see if that's, is the, there doesn't seem to be, it's all patchworked right now. And I, and I've, and I, but I've always sat with this kind of question of like, is there a possibility that the mystery schools would be renewed, restored? You know, is that, is that happening? And I'm not aware of it. I wanted to ask you, cause I know this is kind of in your wheelhouse a little bit too. I'm sure you've looked at these questions. Right. I think the uh, mystery school, I think it was Gene Houston in New Jersey founded. Mm-hmm. I think it was damn authentic. Mm. 
I also think that the educational piece that Richard Raw, do you know him? Yes, I do. I tried to get him, but he's no longer doing any sort of media stuff. So, right. <laughs> yeah, I think his school is a, a really solid refinement of a mystery school. Okay. And you, I didn't know you had one that you, that you were working with. Yeah. And, you know, and we were doing our best to uh, keep it clean and honest. Yeah. 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 Cool. Are you still doing it or no? No, that we, that ended in 2018. 2018. Okay. Um, And then you, you, you mentioned Michael Mead and and a question, what spiritual errand have you been sent on? And I wanted to ask you um, what spiritual errand have you been sent on in this life? Well, I mean, that changes for me periodically. Mm-hmm. Sometimes it's, you know, very simple things like, can I live with gratitude a day at a time? Yes, that's beautiful. Uh, but for example, I noticed I was giving a talk at the Connecticut Men's Gathering in September. Mm-hmm. 116 men gathered. And the errand I was really on was blessing younger men. Yeah. Younger men are hungry yeah. to be blessed by elders. Yep. And I, I really believe that if I, if I didn't take that on, um, my last days here uh, would be bad. Yeah. I mean, I would really have uh, betrayed myself. Got it. Got it. You know, I'm hearing your truth there is resonating with me because I'm, you know, I'm 53. And there's a, I still maybe, my ego still maybe carries a sense that I'm, I'm not quite an elder yet. You know, and yet I see the need as well for the younger men to be blessed, to be seen and witnessed. And there's a, I, I still have a letting go. There's still remnants of me sort of competing with the younger guys for Mm -hmm. attention or for power or whatever that is that I compare myself to these young guys with great hair. And, you know, it's like, uh, that's not who I am anymore, you know? And so to really settle into um, being an elder, my, my friend, Mark, uh, emailed me the other day and he goes, how come we don't have a proper initiation into elderhood? We get we get initiated as warriors. And so we're all initiated, uh, the Mankind Project. He goes, but we get, he goes, I'm still carrying weight. I'm 60 and carrying too much warrior energy. What, where, yeah. Where's our initiation so that we all come out and go, guys, it's time for us to be in full and blessing mode for the younger men yeah. and to step into king energy, which is right-sizing the ego and seeing these younger men is our legacy because some of them are hungering for yeah. that kind of male energy because right. they didn't get it or they didn't get it in the, in the right doses or whatever right. the case may be. And Mead makes a distinction between olders and elders. Ah. He said the base, an older is someone who's accumulated years but hasn't walked a mindful path at all. Yeah, yeah. And elders have. And th- their goal is to serve. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. That's great. Critical. That's critical. Yeah. Yeah. That's beautiful. I mean, I so, I feel like I could talk to you for another two hours and, and just keep going, but I want to be mindful of our time and your time. And I just, I want to thank you so much for uh, your writing and your teaching. Um, and it's just, it's helped, it's helped, it's helping so many men find a path that's, that's resonating with them. And it, it means a lot to me and to hear you speak of elderhood and blessing and right-sizing the ego. I just want to thank you so much for, for your words of wisdom and your insight for our listeners. And I so appreciate um, your service in the world. So thank you, Paul. Oh, you're welcome. Thank you. 
I really enjoyed talking to Paul, as you could probably tell. I hope to have him back on again when his next book comes out in the spring so we can talk about the book and the mentoring program that he started. I've read two of Paul's books, and I highly recommend them both. The Path of the Novice Mystic and Seekers Finding Our Way Home proudly sit on my bookshelf, or at least in my Kindle. And it really resonated with me about the need to bless the younger men. I heard what Paul said about how hungry young men are to be included and blessed by the male tribe. And we will continue to explore this theme in future episodes, as I think it is vital to the health of the male tribe to do so. Thank you for listening, and we'll see you next week. That's our show for today. Man, remember that the story of your life is not yet all told. I'm Tony Rezac, and thank you for listening to Basecamp for Men.